Chapter 9 Moral Insanity The heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. Ecclesiastes 9.3 The Bible often ascribes to unconverted people one common heart or character. It always makes two classes, and only two of the human race, saints and sinners. The one class is converted from their sin and has become God's real friends. The other class remains his unconverted enemies. According to the Bible, therefore, the heart in all unrenewed people is the same in its general character. In the days of Noah, God testified that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. Notice that he speaks of the thought of their heart, as if they had one common heart, that they were all similar in moral character. Through the Apostle Paul, God testifies that the carnal mind is enmity against God, Romans 8, 7 testifying this not of only one person or of a few people, but of all people of carnal mind. So in our text, the wording is expressive. The heart of the sons of men is full of evil. As if the sons of men had but one heart, all in common, and this one heart were full of evil you will notice that this affirmation is not made of one or two people, nor only of some people, but of the sons of men, as if of them all. Roman numeral 1. What is intended by affirming that madness is in their heart while they live? This is not the madness of anger, but of insanity. It is true that sometimes people are mad with anger, but this is not the sense of our text. The Bible, as well as customary speech, uses this term madness to express insanity. We understand this to be its sense here. Insanity is of two kinds. One is of the head, and the other is of the heart. In the former, the intellect is disordered. In the latter, the will and voluntary powers are disordered. Intellectual insanity destroys moral agency. The intellectually insane person is not, for the time, a moral agent. Moral responsibility is suspended because he cannot know his duty and cannot choose responsibly as to doing or not doing it. It is true that when someone makes himself temporarily insane, as by drunkenness, the courts are obligated to hold him responsible for his acts committed in that state. But the guilt really attaches to the voluntary act that creates the insanity. A person who gets intoxicated by knowingly drinking what he knows is intoxicating must be held responsible for his acts during the ensuing intoxication. 
The reason of this is that he can foresee the danger and can easily avoid it. The general law is that while the intellect retains its usual power, moral obligation remains unimpaired. Moral insanity, on the other hand, is madness of the will. The person retains his intellectual powers unimpaired, but he sets his heart fully to evil. He refuses to yield to the demands of his conscience. He practically discards the obligations of moral responsibility. He has the powers of free moral agency, but he persistently abuses them. He has a reason that affirms obligation, but he refuses obedience to its declarations. In this form of insanity, the reason remains unimpaired, but the heart deliberately disobeys. The insanity spoken of in the text is moral, that of the heart. By the heart here is meant the will, the voluntary power. While the person is intellectually sane, he still acts as if he were intellectually insane. Roman numeral 2. It is important to point out some of the indications of this state of mind. Since the Bible affirms it to be a fact that sinners are mad in heart, we may naturally expect to see some manifestations of it. It is often astonishing to see how perfectly the Bible captures human character. Has it done so in reference to this point? Let us see. Who are the morally insane? The morally insane are those who, not being intellectually insane, act as if they were. For example, those who are intellectually insane treat fiction as if it were reality, and reality as if it were fiction. They act as if truth were not truth, and as if falsehood were truth. Everyone knows that insane people actually follow the wild dreams of their own imagination, as if they were the most stern reality, and can hardly be made to feel the force of anything truly real. In the same way, people in their sins treat the realities of the spiritual world as if they were not real, but follow the most empty delusions of this world as if they were stern realities. They also act as if self were of supreme importance and everything else were of relatively no importance. Suppose you were to see someone acting this out in everyday life. He goes around day after day assuming that he is the supreme God, practically insisting that Everybody should have a supreme regard to his rights and comparatively little or no regard for other people's rights. If you were to see someone saying this and acting it out, would you not consider him to be either a blasphemer or insane? Now observe the astonishing fact that while wicked people talk so sensibly as to show that they know better, they act as if all this were true, as if they supposed that their own self-interest were more important than everything else in the universe, 
and that even God's interests and rights are nothing in comparison. Every sinner does this in practice. It is an essential element in all sin. Selfish people never regard the rights of anyone else unless they are in some way linked with their own. If wicked people really believed that their own rights and interests were supreme in the universe, it would prove them to be intellectually insane, and we should hurry to place them in the nearest insane asylum. However, when they show that they know better, yet still act on this groundless assumption in the face of their better knowledge, we say with the Bible that madness is in their heart while they live. Now, consider this madness demonstrated in the person's relative estimate of time and of eternity. His whole life declares that, in his view, it is far more important to secure the good of time than the good of eternity. Yet if a person would reason this way, would argue to prove it, and would sincerely declare it, you would know him to be insane, and you would help him to the insane asylum. However, suppose that he does not say this, that he dares not say it, and that he knows it is not true, yet he constantly acts it out and lives on the assumption of its truth. What then? Simply this. He is morally mad. Madness is in his heart. This is precisely the practice of every one of you who is living in sin. You give the preference to time over eternity. You say in reality, Oh, give me the joys of time. Why should I trouble myself yet about the trivial matters of eternity? In the same spirit, you assume that the body is more than the soul. If someone were to affirm this, though, and go around trying to prove it, you would consider him to be insane. If he were a friend of yours, your heart would break for his sad misfortune in that he has lost his reason. But if he knows better, yet lives in practice as if it were so, all you could say is that he is morally insane. Suppose you see someone destroying his own property, not by accident or mistake, but deliberately. Suppose he were injuring his own health also, as if he had no concern for his own well-being. You would bring his case before a judge and try to have him declared insane so that the person's goods would be taken out of his own control and he would no longer be able to waste them. However, in spiritual things, wicked people will deliberately act against their own best interests. Having a price to put into their hands to get wisdom, they will not use it. Having the treasures of heaven placed within their reach, they do not try to secure them. With an infinite wealth of blessedness offered for their mere acceptance, they will not take it as a gift. Indeed, how plain it is that if people were to act in worldly things as they do in spiritual, 
they would be declared insane by everyone. Anyone would take an oath in regard to this. They would say, just look, the man acts against his own interests in everything. Who can deny that he is insane? Certainly, sane people never do this. In moral questions, though, wicked people seem to take the utmost efforts to defeat their own interests and ruin themselves forever. Oh, how they impoverish their souls when they could have the riches of heaven. They also try to realize clear impossibilities. For example, they try to make themselves happy in their sins and their selfishness, even though they know they cannot do it. If you ask them, they will admit that this is entirely impossible, yet despite this conviction, they perpetually keep up the effort to try, as if they expected to eventually accomplish a clear impossibility. In moral things, this may not strike you as especially strange, for it is exceedingly common. But suppose that you were to see someone doing the same sort of thing in worldly matters. What would you think of him? For example, you might see him working hard to build a very long ladder, and you ask him why he is building the ladder. He answers, I am going to climb to the moon. You see him expending his labor and his money with the efforts of his life in order to build an immense ladder with which to climb to the moon. Would you not say that he is certainly insane? Unless he were really insane, he would know that it were a complete impossibility. In spiritual things, however, people are all the time trying to achieve a result that is at least equally impossible, that of being happy in sin, happy with a rebellion among their own inherent powers, with the heart at war against reason and conscience. The pursuit of happiness in sin is as if someone were seeking to bless himself by mutilating his own flesh, digging out his own eyes, and smashing in his teeth. Yet people just as truly know that they cannot obtain happiness in sin and selfishness as they know they cannot ensure health and comfort by mutilating their own flesh and severing their own nerves. Doing these foolish things, which they know will always result in defeat and will never ensure real happiness, they show themselves to be morally insane. Another indication of intellectual insanity is loss of confidence in one's best friends. This is often one of the first and most painful evidences of insanity. The poor man will believe that his dearest friends are determined to ruin him. By no amount of evidence can he be persuaded to think they are his real friends. This is the same way that sinners in their madness treat God. While they inwardly know that he is their real friend, they treat him in practice as their worst enemy. Nothing can persuade them to confide in him as their friend. In fact, they treat him as if he were the greatest liar in the universe. 
Incredible to tell, they practically reverse the respect due to God and to Satan, treating Satan as if he were God and God as if he were Satan. They believe and obey Satan while they disown, dishonor, and disobey God. How strangely they want to reverse the order of things. They would gladly enthrone Satan over the universe, giving him the highest seat in heaven. Yet they would send the Almighty and Holy God to hell. They do not hesitate to surrender to Satan the place of power over their own hearts that is due only to God. I have already noted the fact that insane people treat their best friends as if they were their worst enemies, and I have mentioned that this is often the first proof of insanity. For example, a husband might think that his dear wife is trying to poison him. I remember a situation, the first case of real insanity I ever saw, and it might be for that reason that it made a strong impression on my mind. I was riding on horseback. Arriving near a house, I noticed a window of a room opened, and I heard a most unearthly cry. As soon as I got near enough to hear the words, I heard a most wild, imploring voice, Stranger, stranger, come here. Here is the great whore of Babylon. They are trying to kill me. They will kill me. I dismounted and went up to the house, and there I found a man locked up in a cage and complaining most bitterly of his wife. As I turned toward her, I saw that she looked sad, as if a load of grief lay heavy on her heart. A tear trembled in her eye. Sadly, her dear husband was a maniac. It was then that I first learned how the insane are inclined to regard their best friends. Sinners know better of God and of their other real friends, yet they very commonly treat them in precisely this way. It is as if they were to go into public places and yell to all bystanders, Hello there, everyone! Let it be known to you that the great God is an almighty tyrant. He should not be trusted or loved. Everybody knows that they treat God in this way in practice. They regard the service of God, true religion, as if it were inconsistent with their real and highest happiness. I have often met with sinners who seem to think that every attempt to make them Christians is a scheme to capture them and sell them into slavery. They by no means consider true religion as if it came forth from a God of love. Practically, they treat the Christian religion as if it would be their ruin if they embraced it. Yet in all this, they act entirely against their own convictions. They know better. If they did not, their sin would be exceedingly small compared with what it is. Another remarkable characteristic of insanity is to be greatly excited about little things 
and apathetic about the most important matters in the universe. Suppose you see someone excited about straws and pebbles. He takes much time and effort to gather them into piles and store them away as treasures. Yet when a fire breaks out around his house and the village is in flames, he takes no notice of it and has no interest in it. Or people may die all around him with the plague, but he pays no attention to it. Would you not say that he must be insane? However, this is precisely true of sinners. They are almost infinitely excited about worldly goods such as straws and pebbles as compared to God's offered treasures. How apathetic they are about the most momentous events in the universe. The vast concerns of their souls hardly stir up one sincere thought. If they did not know better, you would say that their reason is certainly dethroned. But since they do know better, you cannot say less than that they are morally insane. Madness is in their heart while they live. The conduct of unrepentant people is the perfection of irrationality. When you see it as it is, you will get a more just and vivid idea of irrationality than you can get from any other source. You can see this in the goals to which they devote themselves and in the methods that they use to secure them. It is all utterly unreasonable, an end madly chosen, sought by means madly devised. This is the life history of the multitudes who reject God. If this were the result of wrong intellectual judgments, we would say at once that the human race has gone mad. Insane asylums themselves provide no higher evidence of intellectual insanity than every sinner does of moral insanity. You can go to every room in the asylum, and you will not find one insane person who gives higher evidence of intellectual insanity than every sinner does of moral insanity. Every sinner provides evidence that he is mad morally. Sinners act as if they were afraid that they would be saved. They often seem to be trying to make their salvation as difficult as possible. For example, they all know what Christ has said about the danger of riches and the difficulty of saving those who are rich. They have read his words, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God, Mark 10.23, and it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Matthew 19.24 They know this, and yet how many of them are in a crazy rush to be rich. For this purpose, some are ready to sacrifice their conscience, and others their health. They all seem deliberately ready to sacrifice their souls. How can they more certainly ensure their own damnation? 
They therefore regard damnation as if it were salvation, and salvation as if it were damnation. They rush upon damnation as if it were heaven, and flee salvation as if it were hell. Is this exaggeration? No. This is only the simple truth. Sinners rush toward the way to hell as if it were the main good of their existence, and they avoid the way to heaven as if it were the culmination of evil. Sinner, this is your own moral state. The picture gives only the obvious facts of the case without exaggeration. Roman numeral 3. This moral insanity is a state of complete wickedness. The special feature of it that makes it a guilty state is that it is entirely voluntary. It does not result from the loss of reason, but from the abuse of reason. The will persists in acting against reason and conscience. Despite the affirmations of reason, and regardless of the admonitions of conscience, the sinner continues on in his career of rebellion against God and goodness. In such voluntary wickedness, must there not be deep-seated sin? Besides, this action is oftentimes deliberate. The person sins in his calm, deliberate moments as well as in his excited moments. If he sins quite openly and boldly in his excited moments, he does not repent and change his position toward God in his deliberate moments, but virtually endorses then the impulsive purposes of his more agitated hours. This heightens his sin. His purposes of sin are obstinate and unyielding. In 10,000 ways, God is bringing influences to bear on his mind to change his purposes, but usually in vain. This career of sin is in violation of all his obligations. Who does not know this? The sinner never acts from right motives. He never yields to the influence of a sense of obligation. He never recognizes in practice his obligation to love his neighbor as himself or to honor the Lord his God. It is a total rejection of both God's law and gospel. He will not obey the law and he will not accept the gospel of pardon. He seems determined to brave the omnipotence of God and to dare his vengeance. Is he not mad upon his idols? Jeremiah 50:38. Is it saying too much when the Bible affirms that madness is in their heart while they live? Remarks 1. Sinners strangely accuse saints of being mad and crazy. As soon as Christians begin to act as if the truth they believe is a reality, then wicked people cry out, See, they are getting crazy. 
Yet those very sinners acknowledge that the Bible is true, and they admit that those things that Christians believe is true are indeed true. Further still, they admit that those Christians are doing only what they should do, and only what they themselves should be doing. Even so, they accuse them of insanity. It is curious that even those sinners themselves know that these Christians are the only rational people on the earth. I can well remember that I saw this plainly before my conversion. I knew then that Christians were the only people in all the world who had any valid claim to be deemed sane. 2. If intellectual insanity is a shocking fact, much more so is moral insanity. I have referred to my first impressions at the sight of one who was intellectually insane, but a case of moral insanity should be considered far more distressing and astounding. Imagine the case of a great man such as Daniel Webster. If his brain becomes weak and he would become insane, there is not a person in all the land who would not feel somber. What? Daniel Webster, that great man, insane? How have the mighty fallen? What a horrible sight! How much more horrible it would be to see him become morally insane! to see a selfish heart run wild with the clear decisions of his gigantic intellect to see his moral principles fading away before the demands of selfish ambition, to see such a man become a drunkard, immoral, and lazy. If this were to occur in someone such as Daniel Webster, how inexpressibly shocking it would be. Intellectual insanity is not to be named in the comparison. 3. Although some sinners may be outwardly decent and may seem to be agreeable in temper and character, yet every real sinner is actually insane. In view of all these serious matters of eternity, he insists on being controlled only by the things of time. With the powers of an angel, he does not try to rise above the low pursuits of a selfish heart. How must angels look upon such a case? Eternity is so vast, and its issues are so dreadful, yet this sinner drives furiously to hell as if he were on the high road to heaven. And all this only because he is obsessed with the pleasures of sin for a season. At first glance, he seems to have really made the mistake of hell for heaven. But upon a closer examination, you see it is no real mistake of the intellect. He knows very well the difference between hell and heaven. But he is basically deceiving himself under the impulses of his mad heart. The mournful fact is that he loves sin, and that is what he will pursue. So very tragically, so insane, he rushes greedily on toward his own damnation, just as if he were in pursuit of heaven.
we shudder at the thought that any of our friends might become insane. But this is not half as bad as to have one of them become wicked. It is better to have a whole family become insane than to have one of them become a hardened sinner. Indeed, the former compared with the latter is as nothing. The insane person will not always be so. When this mortal body is laid away in the grave, the soul may look out again in the free air of liberty as if it had never been confined in a dark prison, and the body raised again may blossom in eternal vigor and beauty. But sadly, moral insanity only grows worse and worse forever. The root of this is not a diseased brain, but in a diseased heart and soul. Death cannot cure it. The resurrection will only raise him to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel 12.2 The eternal world will only give free rein to his madness to rage on with increased vigor and wider reach forever. Some people are more afraid of being called insane than of being called wicked. Surely they show the fatal delusion that is on their hearts. Intellectual insanity is only deserving of pity, but it is not disgraceful. Moral insanity, though, is unspeakably disgraceful. No one needs to be amazed that God would say that some will arise to shame and everlasting contempt. Conversion to God is becoming morally sane. It consists in restoring the will and the affections to the just control of the intelligence, the reason, and the conscience so as to put the person once more in harmony with himself. All his abilities are adjusted to their true positions and proper functions. Sometimes people who have become converted, but not well established in the truth, backslide into moral insanity, just as people sometimes relapse into intellectual insanity after being apparently quite restored. This is a sad situation, and it brings sorrow upon the hearts of friends. Yet in no case can it be so sad as a case of backsliding into moral insanity. An intellectual asylum is a sorrowful place. How can a heart of any human feeling contemplate such a scene without intense grief? As you pass through the halls of this asylum, notice the traces of intellectual ruin. There is a noble-looking woman, completely insane. Over there is a man of splendid appearance and presence, all in ruins. How awful! If this is so, then, what a dreadful place hell must be. These intellectual asylums are awful. How much more the moral asylum. Suppose we go to a large city and visit its insane asylum. 
we go around to all its wards and study the case of each inmate. Then we will go to another asylum and another, visiting the asylums of several states. Would not this be a sorrowful scene? You would cry out long before we had finished, Enough! Enough! How can I bear these sights of insane people? How can I endure to behold such desolation? Suppose, then, we go next to the great moral asylum of the universe, the hell of lost souls. For if people will make themselves crazy, God must close them up in one vast asylum. Why should he not? The well-being of his empire demands that all the moral insanity of his kingdom should be withdrawn from the society of the holy and should be closed up alone and apart. There are those whose intellects are right, but whose hearts are all wrong. What a place must that be in which to spend one's eternity! The great asylum of the universe. Sometimes sinners here, aware of their own insanity, get glimpses of this fearful state. I recall that I once had this idea that Christians are the only people who can claim to be rational. And then I asked myself, why should I act the way I do? Would it hurt me to obey God? Would it ruin my peace or damage my prospects for either this life or the next? Why do I go on in this way? I said to myself, I can give no reason for it except that I am mad. All that I can say is that my heart is set on iniquity and it will not turn. Alas, poor mania! not unfortunate, but wicked. How many of you know that this is your actual situation? Oh, young man, did your father think you were sane when he sent you to a university? You might have been intellectually sane, but not morally. Your moral nature and functions were all completely deranged. My dear young friend, does your own moral course commend itself to your conscience and your reason? If not, what are you but a moral maniac? Young man, young woman, must you in truth write yourselves down as morally insane? Finally, the subject shows the importance of not quenching the spirit. This is God's instrument for the cure of moral maniacs. If you put out his light from your souls, there remains to you only the blackness of darkness forever. Jude 1.13 A young man in Lane Seminary who was then dying in his sins said, Why? Did you not tell me there is such a thing as eternal damnation? Why did you not tell me? I did. Oh, I am going there. 
How can I die in this way? It is growing dark. Bring in a light. And so he passed away from this world of light and hope. O oh, sinner, take care that you do not put out the light that God has cast into your dark heart. If you do, when you pass away, it will grow dark to your soul at midday. The opening into the blackness of darkness forever.